It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. This is Jeffrey Cologne, host of Disruptive FM, the marketing podcast for eccentric minds. Make sure you pre-order my book. It's out July 15th on Kindle, August 15th on hardcover and audio. Disruptive marketing, what growth hackers, data punks, and other hybrid thinkers can teach us about navigating the new normal. Out on Amacom Books, that is a division of the American Management Association, and you can check out all their fine titles at amacombooks.org that's a-m-a-c-o-m books.org press play he's the voice of the intersection of marketing tech and popular culture thinking is his commodity dj data punk stylish sock collector and author of the book disruptive marketing jeffrey cologne is your host of disruptive fm the marketing podcast for eccentric minds If it's Friday, it's another episode of Disruptive FM, the marketing podcast for eccentric minds. I'm your host, Jeffrey Cologne, and it is episode 47. Yeah, we are getting close to generation 50 in a couple of weeks as we close in our on our 50th episode. Of course, this week we're back from Hamburg, Germany, in our home base of the Emerald City of Seattle. Broadcasting live from the campus of Microsoft in Redmond, Washington. On this week's episode, we're going to talk a little bit about employee advocacy as an extension of influencer marketing. Also, a number of people who are leaving brand marketing gigs to go back into the agency world. Could that be a beacon of hope? For the agency model, which has been running into trouble in the last couple of years with this influx of creative minds. And also the seven big problems of marketing. Uh, The AMA, or the American Marketing Association, has identified seven problems. And we want to go over a couple of those. All that and more on this week's episode of Disruptive FM. Make sure you follow us on Twitter. You can uh, reach us at Disruptive FM. You can also follow me 
on Twitter at DJGEOFFE, or a better place for some of my thought leadership. Just look me up on LinkedIn and you can follow me direct there. Jeffrey with a G, G E O F F R E Y. Last name Cologne, C O L O N. That's the British phonetic spelling for my first name and the Spanish phonetic spelling for my surname. So interesting in terms of a lot of articles recently on influencer marketing in a number of marketing periodicals and publications. The funny thing about all of this discussion about influencer marketing is I wonder if the data is now backing up what many of us in the world of social media or social media marketing have known for the last decade, which is people trust people they know to receive information about the things that they may want to purchase, but also around things like politics. And then also, is it possible that the data is now backing up that people are trusting influential strangers a little more? So I've been getting tweets and emails and other notifications uh, sent to me from a number of listeners around the world. I don't know any of them, but uh, they've entrusted me in my points of view, um, which I guess is great in the sense that we do trust influential strangers when it comes to specific uh, persuasion around topics. So I guess if you're in a certain line of business, there are those influencers who you're going to pay a lot of attention to. If we think about the world of marketing, Seth Godin definitely fits into that. Um, Gary Vaynerchuk, a um, number of other names out there. But I think you could pick any uh, field and there's going to be someone that is influential that you're going to trust who you don't know, who's a stranger, but uh, you trust them because they're an influential voice. Even data is now backing up that we trust strangers in areas like Amazon forums or um, things like TripAdvisor. We look at what people have to say, and we're persuaded by that much more than what uh, a brand is going to say to us. So this obviously leads to a whole new area of influence that some of the more cutting-edge companies are looking into now, and that's called employee advocacy. And the reason why employee advocacy is gaining steam is because when we thought of how social media marketing first entrenched itself in the business world, and we have to rewind back to 2005, 2006, probably for more cutting-edge companies, and more like 2008 and 2009 for some of the laggards, maybe even 2010 or 11 for some of the laggards. But in any case, if we rewind back to that era, it made sense for many companies to say, okay, hey, we have identified social media and we know that it is important uh, in terms of how we communicate going forward. So we're going to set up a department. We're going to staff it probably with one or two people uh, if you're lucky. And they will be our social media department. They will be our influential advisors in the areas of um, social media, so to speak, our you know, influence, blogging, etc., thought leadership. Well, what's happened now is everyone is using social media. And everyone has the ability to be influential. So it makes a lot of sense to 
not even have a social media department, but to have a few people on your staff who understand the trends of communication, where things are moving in terms of uh, communication, and have those people educate, inspire, and actually deploy new forms of communication with using the entire staff as your amplification board or your persuasion board or your influencer board, so to speak. So what we're actually now seeing is many companies moving toward an employee advocacy model. We're actually adopting it at uh, Microsoft, and we've run a pilot recently with the Bing Ads product that I work on uh, using a uh, employee advocacy software called Sociable. There's a number of different types of employee advocacy software that you can use. And for some smaller companies, there's no need to even use uh, software because you can probably set up your own dashboard using a variety of free tools. But in any case, we're now starting to see many more uh, employee advocacy type of uh, you know forms of software that actually can uh, help larger infrastructure or larger enterprises get programs like this off the ground. The other thing that's really interesting, though, too, is besides people entrusting who they know, companies should be employing people who actually love working for that company. So they're going to at least once or twice a month want to share information about the place that they work. Because it makes sense for them to share that to their ecosystem. And by sharing that to their ecosystem, they can uh, help drive a lot more word of mouth. So it's getting quite interesting out there in terms of how um, these new forms of uh, influencer programs, so to speak, involving employees are really going to be going mainstream more. Uh, this year, I think they're they're really on the fringe right now. Um, and then, of course, there's a lot more cutting edge companies adopting this, and I think we'll see this much more mainstreamed in 2017, possibly 2018, for some of the laggards uh, who might be slow um, accepting a lot of the new trends. The other fascinating point of view on why employee advocacy is important is because brands on social media are being ignored more and more because people either don't want to talk to them directly because they feel like they're talking to a robot or two, they're not seeing any of that information because of the way that algorithms work on a number of these news feeds. But there's a way to bypass that if your individual employees are sharing information into their news feeds. So that's also another fascinating reason why we may see more of this. Again, if you're going to turn a program like this into one big spam campaign, that's not the reason for adopting something like this. The reason for adopting it is because you want to you want to motivate your workforce to help carry word of mouth for you and to be influencers for the company. And to help drive that influence on their own social uh, platforms, since all of us are connected in some capacity on a variety of uh, social networks, or at least a few, where we hold sway with others. And we're probably connected to people either socially, or by interest, or by economics, or by job titles, etc. So... 
Really interesting to see where this might be going in the next couple of years. Definitely would love your feedback on the subject. Do you think employee advocacy is an extension of influencer marketing that should be adopted by more companies? Or do you see it as just a passing fad that is only being adopted by companies to take advantage of sort of the here and now, knowing that brand messages are being ignored more and more in the media or social media ecosystem? Would love your feedback. Tweet to us at Disruptive FM. And of course, for any topics around the show that we discuss, feel free to hashtag using Disruptive FM. So interesting story that I read on LinkedIn this past week that um, TBWA Chiat Day is hiring Aaron Riley to run their Los Angeles office. Now, this is pretty interesting because I always like to discuss where some of the better marketers in the world are going. And this one's interesting because Aaron had been with Old Navy for a period of time. Um, She was uh, serving as VP of Marketing and Brand Engagement, and now she's going to be moving back into the agency world. Is this a bigger trend? I'm curious because there are some very bright and talented and creative people in the marketing world moving away from brand gigs back into the agency world, which we all know, and I've discussed this heavily, even going all the way back to episode one of this podcast, that the agency world is in a lot of turbulence. It's in a lot of turmoil. It is not a cozy place that one necessarily returns to to pick up a paycheck. That is not why people return to the agency world. You really have to be inspired, I think, to return to the agency world, probably with a gig that's interesting, but also carte blanche, which, um, you know, many people have, I think a lot of marketers have when they enter the brand world, because there's the ability to sort of control the budget and figure out where you want to go creatively and hire an agency if necessary. Um, And I think that's why a lot of people like to cut their teeth in the agency world and then move to the brand side. But it's also interesting to see a lot of those people then sort of ping pong back uh, to the agency world and agency life, which we know can be pretty stressful and uh, requires you to have almost a lot of stamina and endurance skills. So... This is an interesting move, and I like to watch uh, more of more of these moves from marketers that are out there in the uh, wor- you know world of marketing, especially a lot of these bigger gigs. Um, and you know, my question is, you know, why this person would want to um, move from the brand side back to the agency world? But you know, there's a lot of really interesting shops that are out there. Uh, There's a lot of people who find the agency world and the people who work within the agency uh, sort of ecosystem inspiring. I think many of my mentors are still in the agency world. I always like to give shout-outs to them. Gemma Craven is at uh, McCann. Um, She wrote the foreword of my upcoming book, Disruptive Marketing. 
My other mentor, uh, David Brooks, is still a senior vice president over at Ogilvy, where we shared uh, an office and worked on the same account together for IBM, did a lot of strategy for that account. Um, David is a great guy, an agency guy through and through, and probably one of the more creative individuals that I've uh, had the pleasure of working with. So there is something beautiful about the agency world that I sometimes myself personally miss on the brand side. Um, I work with a lot of great people on the brand side, but there's a lot of sort eh, what do you say, a lot of sort of... There's a lot of checking the boxes on the brand side. Hey, do we have this ready? Let's deploy this. Let's use this linear um, uh, strategy or let's just do the same thing here that I don't see a lot in the agency world because agencies are constantly trying to think a little bit left of center. Great report that came out this past week was published by the American Marketing Association. I'm trying to think of when they actually published this. Well, there's no date on it, but it is new. And it's a fascinating read because they have identified in their 80-year history what they believe to be seven big problems confronting marketing. I like where they're going here because I think that what the marketing world is now realizing is they can't keep doing a lot of the same things they've done forever. It was the whole reason that motivated me to write this book that is coming out in August. The reason I wrote that book is because I have identified that there are a lot of issues in the world of marketing that agencies and brands can't solve if they continue to use a lot of the same methodology they have used for the last couple of decades. And we're talking about some things that the marketing world has used for the last 50 years. They're still trying to do that. And then there's some things that the marketing world has not identified that have cropped up in the last two years that they just sort of hope goes away that I don't think is going to go away. Of course, what I'm talking about here or referring to here is ad blocker technology. That's not going to go away. So there's going to have to be some form or some new mechanism that advertisers and marketers have to think about as a lot of this new technology crops up. So I'll read what the seven problems are, as noted here by Russ Klein, who is the CEO of the AMA. And it would be good to continue this discussion as well online using the hashtag DisruptiveFM. Because I'm curious to know if there are some things that maybe they left out or some things that might be so far gone or that it's almost impossible to solve for, or some things that might take a lot of new thinkers or outside thinkers, fringe thinkers, to help solve some of these big problems. So number one is effectively targeting high-value sources of growth. So what they noted here is with all the fascination with new marketing concepts, technologies, tactics, there continues to be one fund, one foundational issue that is proven and reproven to have a disproportionate impact on the value marketers create for their business. Identifying the highest value source or sources of growth for companies. So what we're starting to see here is what are the products that companies should identify that will help give them high growth. That's something that really should come from 
the marketing department or at least the marketing department should be involved in those decisions. I think at some companies, the marketing department is not involved at all, which is a shame because new marketers, modern marketers actually have a better understanding of what customers want more than the people who create some of the products. Number two, the role of marketing in the firm and the C-suite. So, of course, we know this is a major issue. You have chief marketing officers. Some people have not given them a lot of power. Other companies have given them a lot of power. What's the balance there? What is marketing's place in terms of the academic world, how it defines it, and then, of course, the corporate world, how it defines it? Marketing, to me, will always be an art and a science. It's never going to be 100% an art, and it's never going to be 100% a science. It's a hybrid role. It's a hybrid discipline and that's what makes it beautiful and there are many in the marketing world that want to make it one or the other and that's something that i think we're going to continue to debate over the next uh, decade possibly the next two decades on what is marketing's place in the world especially in these larger companies so in some firms they noted here marketing has lost power Within the firm, even though one of its fundamental roles is to represent the voice of the marketplace in firm discussions. So again, going back to the fact that marketers aren't just amplifiers, they're the best listeners. They understand, I should say we understand, more and more what the sentiment of customers are based on the area of business we might be in. Number three the digital transformation of the modern corporation. So one of the things that's really interesting here is how will winning firms compete in the future? In almost every industry, all companies are moving from products to information and service businesses. That's why when I was consulting for a period of time with IBM, they actually considered Accenture and Forrester and McKinsey to be their competition just as much as they considered maybe the Microsofts and the Amazons of the world when it came to cloud computing. Of of course, this means that products don't disappear. Rather, they become vehicles and platforms for information-based businesses because that's ultimately where we're moving in the future. And again, forget revenue here. This is one of the things I talk a lot about in my book, that I think a lot of people are going to come down hard on me and say, hey, he doesn't talk about revenue at all, but you got to generate capital. But in a world where information is going to be prevalent, it's how you put all these things together that decides who's going to exist and who's not going to exist. And marketing is in the best place to do this because they have a view of emerging media, big data, uh, marketing communications. Uh, Also, they're dealing with how to transform the C-suite, how to transform marketing as a whole. So in terms of transformation, they are established just as much as your IT or sales department, so to speak. And, of course, how do companies interface with the larger marketplace? Do they flatten the organization? 
Do they get rid of the organizational hierarchy, which is what I call for also in my book? What happens as a result of all this digitization? Number four, generating and using insight to shape marketing practice. There's a fundamental debate right now unfolding concerning the role of big data and analytics within companies. One of the biggest issues, I think, is do companies even use this data for insight? Another big term that's actually cropping up, IAAS, or Insights as a Service, because there are a number of companies that can collect data for you. But how do you crunch that, get the golden nuggets out of that data, make it into an insight that actually is actionable? So this is a huge area, again, that marketing really struggles with. can't tell you how many reports I pull that have nothing really to do with what's the next action we take, but more or less, what's the data telling us? Well, the data is not telling you anything if you can't, act, you know, can't take an action on it. And much of this is because we have a lot of pure analytical minds that have made up many marketing positions And we have a need to move more toward hybrid roles. How do you get more creative and analytical minds mixed together? So for some organizations, if that means you can't hire hybrids, since there seems to be a lack of them on the scene, how do you actually structure your organization so so it's hybrid by design? You have analytical people working with creative people. And they both have a seat at the table. So this is going to be interesting in that our knowledge meets creative-based economy. Those who can actually take data and turn them into insights have a competitive advantage rather than the traditional views of product, process, routines, capabilities... And assets. As we know, assets don't mean much in a world where there's an abundance. It doesn't mean much anymore to say, hey, we have, all these, uh, we have all this revenue available to us and we can use it for data assets. That's available to everyone now and probably will continue to be cheaper and cheaper depending on who the platforms are and the services that they provide. So there is no advantage to enterprise companies as much as They would like to think they have an advantage currently in 2016. Number five, dealing with an omni-channel world. This is nothing new. We've been dealing with this for the last 20, 25 years, especially since uh, the 1990s. We had a re-engineering of how a lot of companies work. Back offices changed quite a bit. IT departments took over as we went more online with personal computing. So the big thing here is how do we actually mix all of our backroom office operations with our front office operations with our customer-facing operations with our sales tracking operations, they can't live in silos anymore. They can't live as individual departments. These all need to work together. It's like saying, hey, my right arm is going to decide to lift 
a weight, but that's not going to affect the rest of my body. I mean, your heart has to continue to pump. Your mind and your brain has to tell you how to lift that weight. I mean, this is the same type of biology that we need to embrace in the modern business world. And again, this is where I think marketers have a lot to add to the discussion. The biggest question, of course, is do traditional theories and approaches work in an omnichannel world? What new capabilities do companies need to put in place to take advantage of this world? For me, it's all about agile by design. How can you move where customers move? How can you be where customers are behaving? If you're not thinking that way, you're going to really be left behind. There's no way to really dictate what people should and shouldn't do anymore. We see this even in politics. People can't be told necessarily what to do or what to believe anymore because there is a total overhaul of how our communications systems work. So that'll be an interesting one in terms of how marketers approach that. Number six, competing in dynamic global markets. Again, if you've read Walter Friedman's book, The Earth is Flat, we are in a hyper-competitive and fast-moving world. We've been there for quite a period of time. But what you do in the U.S. is going to have a huge effect in maybe what happens in the Asian markets. What happens in the Asian markets is going to have an effect on what happens in Africa. What happens in Africa of an effect in Europe. Everything is tied together now. There is no, hey, we're going to do this in the U.S. and it's not going to have an effect on what we do anywhere else in our business. Especially if we're running a global business. Granted, if you're running a local business, you might look at this a little bit differently. However, you still have to think about the fact that Depending on your business, of course, what you do locally, if you're dealing with supply chain management that you're bringing products or goods and services from other parts of the world, this has a huge effect on you as well. And in many industries, the new and nimbler competition is probably going to be from companies based in the second world or emerging economies talked a lot about this in the early episodes of Disruptive FM, called it the BRIC analogy, B-R-I-C, Brazil, Russia, India, China. Huge effect on my, what, my, what might happen moving forward in terms of more economic power, but also more power in terms of building new ideas in the cognitive, imaginary economy that we live in currently. Number seven, balancing incremental and radical innovation. So this is interesting because this reminds me of what Satya Nadella at Microsoft talks about quite a bit. How do you build or how do you operate in the present and build power in the future? How do you do that all at the same time? That's a very hard thing to do. It's almost like you are training for your next marathon while you're currently running that marathon. That's very hard. Athletes can't do that. So it's going to be interesting to see if businesses can do that as well. And then, of course, 
how do we foster innovation beyond the product? Many times when we think about innovation, we think about products, solely about products. What we should actually be thinking about is, are we bringing innovation to our organization, to our global network, to our financial models, to our reward systems, to our people management, to our supply chain management, to our distribution channels? That all deals with innovation. You can't just say, hey, we built a really good product. Everything will take care of itself. There are other things that need to also be revised. Again, I talk a lot about this in the book. Hopefully you pre-ordered the book as well. It's available on Kindle. It's out July 15th, hardcover and audio August 15th. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and where all good books are sold. Disruptive Marketing. What growth hackers, data punks, and other hybrid thinkers can teach us about navigating the new normal. By the way, as an aside, I have been resting my voice quite a bit because I've been actually doing the audio version the past couple of days here at a studio in Seattle. And that studio had no air conditioning, or I should say it has no air conditioning, and most studios don't because it dries up your voice. Um, for people who go into vocal chambers to actually lay down vocals. But boy, I recorded on two of the hotter days in Seattle, and wow, I was drenched after those sessions. Felt like I lost five pounds. So I might actually have to blog about that just to give everyone an idea of some of the, uh, some of the physical work that actually goes into cognitive creativity. But getting back to our point here in terms of number seven with balancing incremental, incremental and radical innovation, the biggest question that we should all be asking ourselves here, and marketing should really bring it to the table, is how do we successfully incorporate design principles into every organization? Design is at the center of all human experience And it is at the center of all business experience now in the 21st century. So again, it's not a matter of just looking at how to design new products or redesign current products, but how to look at systems, processes, workflows. Everything deals with design because it can make it more efficient or not even a matter of making it more efficient. It can make it more impactful which is ultimately how things work in the persuasion economy. The other thing is how do we think about creating platform products? It's not enough anymore to have a successful product that lives on its own. Successful companies now think in terms of platforms, ecosystems, franchises, There's plenty of examples in the digital space. Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon. There's also plenty of examples in industries that we wouldn't think have ecosystems. Major League Soccer, the National Football League, National Basketball Association. Then there's even things that uh, we wouldn't think have built ecosystems like Nickelodeon Disney or American Girl 
These aren't simply products. They're entire ecosystems of products, information, brands, retail experiences. So there's a lot there that we can learn. Would love your feedback on this topic. Make sure you check out the article, Seven Big Problems in the Marketing Industry, by three authors, Bernie Jaworski, Rob Malcolm, Neil Morgan. You can find it by doing a Bing or a Google search. It's also on the American Marketing Association website, which you can find at ama.org. Next week, or I should say on the next episode, we're going to talk a little bit about who will disrupt the disruptors. So it's taken a year for my book to get published. Wow. Talk about a non-agile industry, the publishing world, the book publishing world. Jeez. No wonder so many people self-publish in this day and age. But in any case, uh, one of the ideas that I came up with recently is what do I write about with my next book? Because you're always thinking about what the next thing is or your next form of creative output is going to be. And if you're not thinking that way, you should be thinking that way all the time. Your mind should be sort of being pulled in lots of different directions. That's the That means that your creative juices are actually flowing and you're thinking of really good ideas. But I thought of uh, doing a book on, you know, how disruption is actually not the main avenue for business in the next 50 years. I think what is going to happen is you're going to have a lot of disruption of the original disruptors. You're going to have disruptors to, you know, disruptors to the Uber model or the Airbnb model or even the Amazon model. The interesting thing here is that disruption will actually have a more humane sensitivity to it. It will actually use the platform as a commons theory. And we'll get a little bit into that next episode in case you're wondering what I mean by all this. But um, yeah, that'll be the main topic we talk about in episode 48, Disrupting the Disruptors. Tweet to us at Disruptive FM. Tweet to me at D-J-G-E-O-F-F-E. Follow me on LinkedIn, G-E-O-F-F-R-E-Y, last name C-O-L-O-N, Jeffrey Cologne. And check out uh, my website and a list of all of my upcoming speaking dates for the year 2016. That's jeffreycologne.net slash speaking. And, of course, if you want information on this show, DisruptiveFM.net. Hope you enjoyed this episode. We'll catch you next time. You've been listening to an episode of Disruptive FM, the marketing podcast for eccentric minds. Remember to subscribe to the show on iTunes. Purchase a copy of Jeffrey's latest book, Disruptive Marketing, on Kindle, hardcover, and audio. Signing off from the city of Seattle. Press pause. Pause.